This episode is sponsored by A Blossom of Bright Light, the latest Jimmy Vega mystery from award-winning author Suzanne Chazen. Latino police detective Jimmy Vega must strike a precarious balance between the local immigrant community and his hometown's most powerful and privileged citizens during a dangerous murder investigation. Full of hidden secrets, racial tensions, and unexpected tragedies, A Blossom of Bright Light is the mystery you can't miss. It's available now wherever books are sold. Read the first chapter of A Blossom of Bright Light and more at Kensington books.com. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 25, and today we're talking about books released on October 27th, 2015. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow well redhead, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hello there. 25 episodes. Our, our show can rent a car now. Yes. Yeah. And its insurance goes down. Right. <laughs> Excellent. We're growing up. We're, we're halfway to 50. I feel like the 50th show is that'll be a milestone, even though a year will be 52. And, you know, that's a milestone also. We'll just have a bunch it of milestones. It doesn't sound as good when you say 52. Like 50 yeah. is like a good solid number. We'll do 50 and then we'll have a one year party. With cats, lots of cats. Uh, well, all the cats. Yes. We should interview <laughs> a cat. Will, we'll be done after 52 episodes. We'll, you know, a year of all the books is good, and then we'll transition, and this show will become all the cats. All the cats. And what they're reading. <laughs> Speaking of cats, we are getting really close to Book Riot Live on November 7th and 8th in New York City. We will not have cats there, but you can use the code MORECATS to save $20 on your registration if you come for both days. Uh, tickets are available at bookriotlive.com. You can watch us do this show live. We have ordered outfits. We are ready. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, we have our uniform. It's not a two-headed Snuggie, but only because we thought that would be too hot. Yeah. Uh, but we'll be talking about the new releases for the week of November. I guess that Tuesday will be the 10th, um, and our show will be recorded live that weekend. So you can come hang out with us and watch us do this show live. You can see Margaret Atwood and Daniel Jose Older and Lori Hals Anderson and a bunch of incredible authors and publishing folks and people who love books as much as you do. And you can attend some fancy cocktail parties and see a performance by the Bushwick Book Club, which is a group of musicians who all write songs about the book that they've read, which is just the most fun uh, thing that I've ever seen, I think. It's going to be an awesome weekend. We have one-day passes available now. If you can only come on Saturday the 7th or Sunday the 8th, um, those are sixteen, sorry, $89 a piece. If you want to come for both days, the two-day tickets are listed at $169, but again, you'll get $20 off with the code MORECATS. So do that. It's M-O-R-E-C-A-T-S, all one word, at bookriotlive.com. Check out the full schedule, and please come hang out with us. It's just a couple weeks weeks away we can't wait i know it's so crazy two I know. weeks i know i can't wait to see you in person it's been I so know. long <laughs> it's exciting it is going to be exciting and actually the last time that i saw you in person was the time that you acquired this first book you're going to talk about so how's that for a segue oh nicely done yeah i i did some scheming and i managed to snag a copy of this and Oh, it's so good. This is going to be huge. This book is going to be enormous. Uh, let me tell you what it's called. Please do. <laughs> this is The Witches, Salem 1692 by Stacey Schiff. Now, you probably know Stacey Schiff. She wrote that Cleopatra biography mm -hmm. a few years ago, which was magnificent. And this is her look at the Salem witch trials, um, which I think we all know the story of the Salem witches. 
if you, you know, didn't read about it in school, you probably had to read the Arthur Miller play, which is pretty similar, you know. Bunch of women, young girls in Salem in the late 1600s, accused of witchcraft, 19 people put to death. Really ugly spot in history. Mm-hmm. Um, the author Nathaniel Hawthorne, his grandfather was the judge. He changed the spelling of his name. Did you know that? I think I did know that. Yeah. I, I'm a little bit of a Hawthorne fangirl. Yeah, he was trying to distance himself from, from the whole thing, so he changed the spelling of his name. Um, I'm going to just talk about this book without using any notes. I'm just going to just ramble yeah, about yeah. it because it's so good. Um, this is really kind of like a psychological thriller. I mean, she goes deep, deep, deep into Puritan New England, and it's incredible. And she does an amazing job because, um, you remember last week I was talking about that book Lafayette and the Somewhat United States by uh-huh. Sarah Bell. She was talking about how everyone kept, like, these meticulous journals. Like, everyone kept a journal about everything that happened all the time. They would just, you know, have a day, and then they'd be like, uh, today I just got done telling Rebecca about how everyone keeps a journal. You know, like, but for some reason, and maybe because they got rid of them, maybe because they just you know, the events weren't worth writing down. I don't know. There's not a lot of notes at this, huh. on this time period from the people who were involved in in these uh, things that went on. It wasn't just in Salem. I mean, it was in the surrounding areas. There were witches just like witch frenzy at this time. Um, and she really goes into why. I mean, back then, like you have to imagine, this is like late 1600s New England. She's, she explains like how really, really dark it was. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as it got dark out, like you could not see... Uh, how really quiet it was. You could hear a beaver slap its tail from half a mile away. That's crazy. Yeah. So you're in the woods, and it's dark, and you're afraid of everything because, you know, the Puritans, you know, they believe in the devil and all kinds of witchcraft and all this stuff. Um, There are Indian attacks. So they're just scared all the time. They're, you know, mentally stressed. And they're also very strict, and they seem to fight all the time. Like, they don't want to pay the minister, they get rid of the minister, they get a new minister, they don't want to pay him. You know, they don't, like, everybody blames each other. They have to Mm -hmm. do, like, public apologies. Like, if you do something wrong to your neighbor, you have to, like, apologize. And if you don't do a good enough job, they make you do it again the next week. Just, like, all this crazy stuff. Um, There's fighting about taxes. There's this really great story about this guy who, his house is built on, like, a town line. Like, it runs through the middle of his house. So when the tax collector would show up to get his taxes, he would move to the other side of his house. (laughs) Like, how awesome is that? <laughs> they wouldn't let you do that now. Um, I think they call that a loophole. <laughs> yeah. And and then there's that thing that I was talking about last week, like, just that just blows my mind. Like, death. You know, like, everything is, is you know, makes you sick, and people just die all the time. They're like, well, this new minister came, but then his two children died, and his wife, and then we got another one, and his wife died. You know, and if you're not feeling so good, they might give you a little dried fox lung, maybe a little roasted hedgehog fat in your ear. Um, it's, it's just crazy. And also, if you don't feel well, you know, like if you start to get the sniffles, what do you think? I'm getting a cold? No. If you're a Puritan, you think it might be the devil. So that's, that's where their minds went. Like as soon as, so as soon as these two girls, it started with these two girls in the minister's house, started exhibiting these weird signs, they were like, oh, well, it's, it's obviously witchcraft and it's the devil and, you know, it couldn't be anything else. And it just, just exploded from there. And she just does this incredible job, like, explaining, like, all the different reasons that this could have happened. You know, the fallout. Just, it's amazing. This book is so, so good. Um, Yeah, that's, I'm just going to keep babbling, so I think I should end there. (laughs) That's a good place to end. Yeah, and, of course, perfect for this time of year. Yeah. So. 
So that's The Witches. The Witches by Stacey Schiff. Awesome. Do you want to do our first? Our, well, no, not even our first. It's our second sponsor this week. Uh, and then I'll do my first pick. Sure. I can do that. Um, this one I am going to use my notes because, you know, I want to be all professional and stuff. Um, so our first sponsor is Trigger Warning by Neil Gaiman, which is now in paperback. That was really fast. Good job, Liberty. Like, I swear it just came out of hardcover, but time just flies yeah, by. It does. Well, and that, like, the length between hardcover and paperback is shortening these days. I think so, Yeah. But if you're not familiar with Neil Gaiman, he is well-known as the author of American Gods, The Ocean at the End of the Lane, The Sandman comic books, uh, Anansi Boys, The Graveyard Book, which is my personal favorite, um, and Coraline, which was made into that lovely movie. Mm -hmm. And Trigger Warning is short fiction featuring an exclusive American God story, uh, human statues, their Sherlock Holmes, remarkable bees, death, seems to be the theme so far today, (laughs) uh, Walls of Thorns, Doctor Who... He did. Really? Uh, he wrote some awesome Doctor Who episodes. If you haven't seen them, uh, Dangerous Nightmares and more. Um, and the New York Times book review says that Neil Gaiman is like a conjurer who shows us how the magic trick has worked, joins us in laughing at its transparency and simplicity, and makes us believe in it anyway. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a good. That was a good. That um, is a good blurb. A good blurb. But he's. I mean, if you've not read him, he's amazing. There's so many things. He has kids' books. He has some great picture books. There's so much stuff to choose and from. You know how I love a collection of short fiction. Oh, yeah. This is, and this is just the right time for it. That's probably cool. why it's coming out now. That's my guess. Very hey, look, I just figured that out. Liberty and Rebecca publishing detectives. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So, again, that is Trigger Warning by Neil Gaiman, now available in paperback. Cool. Thanks to them for sponsoring this week. Okay, my first pick. I have been waiting to talk about this book because I got, they did very limited galleys and I got one and it came with a nice letter saying, please don't talk about this book until publication date. And I was like, but why? Why? It's so good. I want to talk about it. So I I have all this pent up excitement about it. It's Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl by Carrie Brownstein. You probably, I know it's so good. Uh, You probably recognize her from Portlandia, but before that she founded the awesome rock band Slater Kinney and the sort of all the copy around the book and like the jacket stuff and the marketing talks about this being a memoir in music and that it's about like coming up in punk and it kind of is about that I think it's actually about a lot bigger things and that the book has super wide appeal Um, she writes about her childhood being like a very sensitive and artistic kid always wanting to like stand for something and make a point uh, and feeling really left out uh, a lot of the time socially she had a difficult family life. Um, Her parents split up and then years later, her father came out as gay, which, you know, is a, a good explanation for why your parents' marriage might not be Uh, very happy. And she writes about, you know, struggling through that and her relationship with her sibling. Um, It's not to me so much a memoir in music as it is a bigger story about finding yourself in the act of making something. She writes about first learning to play the guitar. She writes about the music that she listened to that inspired her to become a musician and to try to start a band, going to those early shows, like losing yourself in the pit at a show and remembering as a person who really lives in your head that you actually have a body. Um, And what that was like to be, you know, at a sweaty concert in a dark club, jumping around with a bunch of other people who 
it seemed like they were feeling the same things. She writes really wonderfully about that, like visceral experience of live music and what that can do. Um, And then what it did for her learning to play music and being in a band, having that creative urge, but also having a community built around sharing the same kind of creativity and uh, how she really found herself in that particular community around punk and rock at the time that Slater Kinney was forming and first becoming a really big deal. Um, It's this is a book for I think just about anyone. Um, It's really candid. She's very funny. I mean, she's Carrie Brownstein. So of course, she's very funny. It's just razor sharp. Um, And even though it's not intended to be like an inspiring self-helpy kind of memoir, like the Amy Poehler and the Tina Fey, um, I think it's very instructive. Nonetheless, Uh, Carrie Brownstein is just very thoughtful about her life. She's very wise. And you can pick up a lot of like nuggets of inspiration and nuggets of life advice from the ways that she talks about handling things herself. She doesn't ever point to the reader and say, here is how you should do a thing or here is how you should face a challenge. Um, But it's really enlightening and interesting to read about all the things that she has come through. And her voice is just wonderful. You know, like, no surprise that her voice is wonderful. She's an excellent writer. We see that on Portlandia. You can see it in the Slater-Kinney lyrics, but um, really comes through here. I, I read the book like in one night. While I was traveling, I couldn't even think straight. All I wanted to do was read Carrie Brownstein. Um, it's so good. I'm so glad that it's out now and that we can talk about it. Um, whether you know anything about Slater Kinney or rock or any of that stuff or not, it, it doesn't matter. This book is fascinating. Um, and it's just a really great memoir from a woman who's contributing to culture in a lot of really fascinating ways. So that's Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl. I love her. She's so good. Yes. I hope I did you proud. I know you read it and loved it, too. Oh, Slater Kinney is one of my favorite bands. So I was very excited. I've never actually seen Portlandia. Is that weird? You haven't? I know. I don't think it's that weird, um, but you would like it. Yeah. I I always want to watch things, but then I pick up a book and, you know, <laughs> what happens. Um, so <laughs> too many books. I'm going to try and tell you about this next book, but as I mentioned before we started recording, I have that problem with my brain being missing today. So... Instead, I'll just put on a puppet show and you can think at home about what I'm saying, maybe. Sure, okay. <laughs> you know, um, this is, you know, there's so much excitement today about everything. This new book is from David Mitchell, and it is called Slade House. And you know how I'm a huge David Mitchell fan. Most of Book Riot, huge David Mitchell fans. There was the um, great galley, you know, fiasco at BEA a couple years ago where it was just like a to huge mob. And, and we were all like almost... <laughs> you know, crushed in this mob. Um, it was like a dystopian scene. Yeah. But this is like a special little treat because I think this is only two years between books, which is, he's usually a little bit longer than that, I think. Um, and this book is so great. It's this really fun, really accessible um, horror, science fiction, mystery book. Have you read it? I, can't I haven't. Yeah, I, I'm like way behind on the David Mitchell oeuvre. So I didn't read The Bone Clocks yet. I heard this was connected to The Bone Clocks. Is that right? It's it's connected to a few of his books, but if you haven't read them, you don't know that. Like, okay. you, it's not noticeable, so you wouldn't realize, like, oh, that's that character, you know, from but this you book. But you would, like, and- I would miss stuff, but I wouldn't know I was missing it? Yeah, you're not even okay. missing it, because, you right. know. Um, this, this actually started out as a Twitter story. He was, he spent a few days, like, tweeting the beginning of this book, and it turned oh, into cool. the story. Um, so Slade House is... This beautiful, gorgeous house that is, you know, just like, it's in England, and it's down the alley from the local pub, and has these lovely grounds, and everybody who lives there is really nice and inviting, and they're super friendly, Um, and also it can only be seen on Halloween once every nine years, 
Um, you know, oh, like, like there's that. There's that. Like it happens. Um, Anthony Doerr, the the author, the of Light yeah. Weekend, the author. He said that this is like Hansel and Gretel for grownups, and it oh, is cool. in a way. Okay, it's just there's this house, and people go in it, and then they don't come out, and then other people are like, where did those people go? And then they have like to wait nine years to try and find out, and then these people go in the house, and then where did those people go? <laughs> and like the explanation made me just like jump up and down and like squeal. It's so good. It's super creepy. Super, super, super creepy. This, this was like his attempt at a horror book, and it, it's definitely scary. I mean, the explanation for what goes on in that house is so awesome. I'm really worried if I keep talking about it, I'm going to say something <laughs> that's going to ruin it for everybody. Um, so I'm just going to say one more time. Book so awesome. Uh, that is Slade House by David Mitchell. Right. This is our super fan segment of the show, I guess, because my next pick this week, um, this is one that I think they announced last year was coming out. So I've been looking forward to it for almost a year. Uh, The Givenness of Things, a new collection of essays by Marilyn Robinson, who, of course, is the writer of Gilead and then the other Gilead set books. Um, She is one of my favorites, just a really remarkable novelist, but she's a really remarkable thinker. And we get that in this essay collection. Robinson gives these talks um, and she, you know, she's constantly asked to give talks and then she polishes them and publishes them as essays. And I learned about that because last week, President Obama interviewed her. Um, that is correct. He interviewed her for the New York Review of Books. He actually interviewed her. It wasn't no like a poll. Yeah. Like it's not a politician trying to look good doing a thing. He like st- was often Iowa doing something else and she lives there and they knew each other previously and she had written an essay recently called Fear which is included in this book but was published um, by itself online about gun control and the American culture of fear and gun violence and he wanted to talk to her about that so he did because you can when you're President Obama you can just go interview Marilyn Robinson and that's one of the things that she tells him is like in between novels because she takes a long time to write a novel she you know gives talks and writes essays and publishes them in these collections. Um, a previous collection is called When I Was a Child, I Read Books, and that's also really wonderful. This is, These are great. Um, and they break your brain, or at least they broke my brain, in a very pleasant way. These um, essays are about big ideas. Um, and I think it's it was surprising to me. Reading her essays are, is always a surprising experience to me as a reader because the novels are so quietly arresting that, and they're just at their at their core their stories about good people doing hard things and trying very hard to be good people um that the intellectual rigor of the essays was like an oh right this isn't going to be you know you sink into her fiction you sink into the world of gilead you know those people um and it just sort of happens. The language is really beautiful and you can take that in. But these essays demand your attention and your time and careful reading of their sentences. And for me, it took careful rereading of many of the sentences. You know, it's not written to trip you up. They're not written to be difficult. But Marilyn Robinson's brain is incredible. And of course, those novels that we love come from an incredible mind. So now we get to see that mind. Um, the first piece is about the humanities. And she draws these connections between the devaluing of humanities education and the increased value that we place on uh, neuroscience and being able to explain all of the things that happen in our brains, but how the arts rely on um, playing to the 
inexplicable and the sort of magical parts of being human that you can see something beautiful and it makes you feel a certain way and how it seems that that should be mysterious or it can't be as simple as just a neuron firing from one spot to the next, at least to her. It's a really incredible um, first piece. And I was like, oh, this is going to be good. And she takes on religious ideas, um, issues of uh, ideas about forgiveness. She talks about, again, that piece about fear and gun control. And it's a really stunning, stunning collection. If you want to, you know, spend some time with someone who's really thinking very carefully about life today, um, the, the way that we're living it and perhaps the way that we should be living it. This is an, uh, a just really excellent read, and that's The Givenness of Things by Marilyn Robinson. This really is the super fan edition because uh, I'm very excited to talk about this next book because I'm a huge fan. Uh, the next book is called We Five, and it's by Mark Dunn. I'm a huge Mark Dunn fan, so I want to talk about not only the, this, this book in particular, but his other books because he does these amazing, amazing things with his work. Um, he has a book, his last book was called American Decameron, which was 100 short stories, each one set in a different era of the 20th century. Oh, cool. Um, he had a book called Ibid, which was written entirely in footnotes. Um, and he is the author of one of the most amazing books. It's, it's one of my favorites. It's called, you've, I know you've heard me talk about it. It's called Ella Minope. Oh, I've still never read it. Oh, my goodness. It's called A Progressively Lipogrammatic Epistolary Fable. I totally and know what all those words mean. <laughs> it's. It's written in letters, and um, there's a, a problem at the beginning of the book where this woman's writing a letter, and she talks about how uh, the letter, I think it was the letter N, it might be the letter E, but I think it's the letter N, falls off a sign and hits somebody on the head, <laughs> and the town collectively votes to ban use of that letter. <laughs> so now as she's writing these letters, she can't use the letter N. Oh, and then funny. they ban another letter and another letter until you get to the end of the book, and almost all the letters have been banned, and he's writing these letters, you know, using only the remaining letters. It's incredible. It's it, run out and read it right now, seriously. But um, his new book, another amazing thing with wordplay and storyplay, um, it's called We Five. And it starts with this foreword where he's like, so I found this old book by Elizabeth Gaskell called We Five. And I was like, is that real? Is, <laughs> is he telling the truth? I looked it up. No, he's not. He's lying. But he goes it's on. It's all the frame. Yep. He goes on to explain how he found this book by Elizabeth Gaskell called We Five which three other authors then tried to write versions of. <laughs> and so now he's taking those four versions, plus writing his own version of this story, and you get all five of these books in this one book. So it starts, it's, it's all about these five friends who are extremely close, these five women. They're very close. They call each other sisters. Um, and it follows them through five different locations and different years. It starts in 1859 England, and the last segment is in 1997 Mississippi and the story just like flows through these different time periods like it starts with them and they're getting ready to go to work and then the next section starts you know and they're walking to work but now they're in a different year in a different place and it just follows them as all that happens and, and each piece is written in the style of that time period and it's not just like five five only five stories I can't talk today <laughs> it's not just the five I mean it keeps bouncing back and forth between all of them um, it shows the limitations placed on women in those different times. It's a look at spinsterhood. They're all, you know, single and living at home with their mothers and fathers. Um, it looks at sexuality and how that was treated in those different times. And you just follow the story of these five women and their jobs. And there's some men who are out to, you know, uh, they don't have good intentions. 
and they kind of sneak around in all the stories. Um, it's just really cool. It's so cool. Like, he just does amazing things. And I just like to think of him sitting at home going, like, what is the weird thing I'm going to do with my next book? I mean, he's just great. Um, again, it's called We Five by Mark Dunn. And read everything that he wrote. <laughs> Maybe that will be what I do over the holidays. <laughs> oh, he's so great. Seriously. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, before we get into the bottom segment of the show, we have our final sponsor this week. FabFitFun is back. FabFitFun is a subscription box with premium full-size fashion, beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. There's no like, here's one and a half squirts of lotion. You get all the squirts. Uh, the box comes out once each season, and the items are you know, sort of thematic around what season of the year it is. It retails for $49.99, but always has a value of over $200 in those full-size items, which is really fantastic. Um, you can subscribe at fabfitfun.com. Use the coupon code all the books to get $10 off your first box. They sent me one of these about a month ago before the first episode that they sponsored. And I was really impressed. I have subscribed to a bunch of different boxes for things in the last couple of years. And this is the, the best one that I've seen for especially fashion and beauty and fitness items. There um, were face masks that were really great. Previous boxes have had Moroccan hair oil, dry shampoo, which as a person with curly hair is like a revelation to me. Uh, they've had candles, Pilates DVDs, Zumba DVDs, uh, a gift card for Headspace, which is a great meditation app, nail wraps. Uh, the one that I received had a health and fitness um, tubing, like the exercise tubes that you use to create resistance when you're doing different, different types of exercise. It came with a DVD to do body and core work, um, that lower body and core work. That was really cool. Um, there's an adorable umbrella. There are a whole bunch of other great things in the fall box. So I don't want to say any more about what's in there and spoil it. But especially if you're into um, beauty and lifestyle fitness sorts of things, just, you know, I, I think of this as like the treat yourself box. Um, it's just about that, like I adore being a girl moment and putting on a face mask and feeling great about taking good care of your skin or trying out a new lipstick or a new lotion. Um, lots of great products in here. I really like the I really like what they're doing at FabFitFun. So you can go to fabfitfun.com, use the code all the books at checkout for $10 off your first box. That means you'll pay $39.99 for your first box with a value of more than 200, which is a really great value. And you can let us know, you know, hit me up on Twitter or on Instagram. If you take a photo of it, let us know that you got your box um, and that you're into it. I think you'll really dig them. If you're a person who is into the subscription thing, you like the surprise coming in the mail. Um, I think you'll really dig it. So that's fabfitfun.com. And thanks to them for sponsoring again this week. Okay. My fangirlness is going to continue. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, my next pick this week is Brave Enough by Cheryl Strayed. Uh, she's, of course, the author of Wild about hiking the Pacific Crest Trail and also Tiny Beautiful Things, which is a collection of the columns that she wrote as Dear Sugar for the Rumpus as uh, advice columns, but really personal essays that are sort of advice columns. Uh, I was hiking earlier this week, and now that I've hiked uh, 16 miles and gotten new blisters, I totally relate to Cheryl Strayed's experiences in Wild. I'm, I'm confident that I fully appreciate um, what she went through. This is a collection of the best quotes and most beloved quotes, I guess, um, from her existing body of work. So this is not new Cheryl Strayed, but this is like 
the very best of Cheryl Strayed boil, boil down into one easy reference place. It's a beautifully designed book. It's uh, it's a great gift. Like It is not an accident that this book is coming out right in time for the holiday season. Um, Strayed writes a really nice introduction to it that's essentially like, look, People quote my work all the time. I see it on coffee mugs. I see it in cross stitches. People have gotten tattoos of my work. I can't really believe this because all of the words that I've written have just been about me becoming myself and trying to figure out my life. And so doing this collection of my own quotes is not about like... Uh, coming down from on high. It's not about positioning myself as an authority, but it's about looking at what are like, there is a community sort of uh, people that worship at the church of Cheryl. And so what are, what are the things that I've written that mean the most to me and that have meant the most to readers and that could have an impact all put together. Um, she's very you know humble about what this book is. And I really appreciated that. And then there are more than a hundred of her best quotes. And I sat down the other night thinking that I would just like flip through the book and get a feel for how it was laid out and for what the things in there are. But this woman is so wise and she's so real about the ways that life is hard and the things that we're all trying to do, you know, to succeed for ourselves, to be happy, to be good partners to the people that we love, um, to be good, you know, siblings and children and to care for our families and our friends. And, uh, so I just read the whole thing and I'm really glad that I did. And then I pulled tiny, beautiful things off the shelf to try to, you know, read some of the f long pieces again. I think Cheryl Strait is great on what life is all about. And she's great at boiling her wisdom down into a couple of sentences. And so um, Brave Enough is a really excellent gift for yourself, for anybody who is a Cheryl Strait fan. But it might also be a nice entry point. Like you can sort of taste the Cheryl Strait smorgasbord and then decide if you want to read, you know, to get the full context and read those full essays or the memoir that the uh, quotes came from. So just really wonderful. I love her so much. I think I'm kind of inarticulate about it. But the words that she has written have made really material differences to decisions that I've made and to the ways that I've handled difficult moments in my own life. Um, and I think it's very cool to see some of those quotes um, brought back in this really beautiful new book. Um, so this is Brave Enough by Cheryl Strayed. That's going to be a huge graduation present. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be big at the holidays and then Mother's Day and graduation. Um, I bought I think I've bought more copies of Tiny Beautiful Things to give as gifts to friends than probably all other books I've ever given combined. Uh, so I'll probably be doing the same thing with this one. It's a good one for it. Yeah. So, What's next for you? Uh, well, I cannot claim to be a fangirl because I, I've not read this author before, but I am a fan of the publisher, which is Deep Vellum. They're this uh, recent indie publisher. They do these amazing translations. Um, and this one is an Indonesian novel. It's called Home by Leila S. Chudori, and it's translated by John H. McGlynn. There seems to be like this big movement to get translators' names involved yeah. in everything all the time, which is cool. I mean... That's you know, great. they do a lot of work, too, so why not? You know, I'm all for, like, putting the editors in the book, you know, mm -hmm. like, listing the editors, too. But that might be a little too insider. <laughs> I don't know. Well, um, they always get thanked in the acknowledgments, so we should just make it official anyway. Yeah, yeah. If someone doesn't thank their editor, I start to worry, you know, about the right. book. Um, so, again, this is called Home, and it is based on the events uh, that were relayed in the Oscar-nominated documentary, An Act of Killing. Um, the director of that film wrote the introduction to this novel. And it is about uh, one person in particular, the, uh, I'm hoping I'm saying his name right because I, I don't know how to say it, but it's Suharto. 
He was involved in thwarting a coup to overthrow the government in 1965, which is one of the bloodiest occurrences in Indonesian history. It was just this, like, mass murder. Um, these mass killings shaped the country and also paved the way for his rule. He ended up taking over as president in 1967. Um, I was reading a little bit about him, and it says that he was the most corrupted leader in modern history, having embezzled an alleged 15 to $35 billion during what? his rule. How can you not notice that that's missing? Like... You have to have so many dollars to not notice that that yeah. many billion have gone. Yeah, just well, he was he was president for you know over thirty <laughs> right. years. So, mm. um, but this novel is sort of based around those times and these men that and their families who were caught up in the in the turbulence. Um, the main character was a, is a journalist and he works at a newspaper that is sort of communist leaning in its beliefs. And when the coup happens, he is labeled a communist himself and forced into exile. Um, he ends up in Paris with a bunch of other exiles, and they open an Indonesian restaurant. Um, but really, they want to go home. Like, they, they attempt to, to re-enter... The, I can't talk. They attempt to re-enter Indonesia, and they're denied mm-hmm. uh, several times. And so, for many years, he ends up living in Paris. Um, now, f- food plays a huge role in this novel. Like, not only is Chidori great at explaining longing for, like, a sense of place and, you know, seeking out your family history, there's a part with his daughter who later, you know, tries to find out what happened and, and wants to visit the country. Um, but her descriptions of food are exquisite. They're so... I, I love that. Oh, yeah. Like, food like food writing in novels is so great. Um, anyway, this is just, like, a really great book. I have to say, I have 75 pages left. It's, like, 400 pages long, and I have, like, 75 pages left. So they could all get penguins and go to space, but I doubt <laughs> it. It's probably going to continue to be, like... You know, Paris food, Indonesia. Um, it's really, really good. And it says here um, on the book that she is Indonesia's most prominent and outspoken female author and journalist, oh, which cool. I thought was cool. And this is her first novel. Um, so, again, it is called Home by Leila Chudori. And, yeah. Awesome. All right. My last one this week is the paperback release of 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas by Marie Helene Bertino. Uh, This came out last year. I loved the crap out of it. I'm so glad it's out in paperback. This is perfect for your fall travel, for holding up on a winter weekend or really for anything. And if you are still looking to fill the Where'd You Go Bernadette void, I think this is the book to do it. It's not similar in the story that it tells, but it oozes with charm. It is utterly delightful. It's fast-paced. It's funny. There's this great cast of, a big cast of characters to love. Okay, so the whole thing takes place on Christmas Eve. Um, Nine-year-old Madeline is mourning the loss of her mother. She lives with her dad. She wants to be a jazz singer more than anything. And all we know is that there was an incident when she sang at school. Something happened, and uh, now she's just determined to get on stage at the Cat's Pajamas, which is a local jazz club, and to perform as a jazz singer. Um, So in this 24-hour setup in which the whole novel takes place, we see Madeline's community. We see the the local shopkeepers and the salon owner and the people at the jazz club who, uh, you know, everybody who sort of knows her or knows her dad or knew her mother and is trying to fill up her life and keep an eye on her. Uh, And we get to know her very well. She's just this plucky, wonderful character. Um, I loved how quickly the book moved. The The chapters are short. They're very snappy. You get like one snapshot here and then another snapshot in this place. And it all just lines up to form this one day in Madeline's life where she is trying to get herself on stage at the cat's pajamas. And that's like kind of all you can say about it is this is what she's trying to do, but how she gets there and all of the people that she meets and the way that the book is written. uh, It's just really, really wonderful. Um, 
I hope that that compels you to read it because I really loved it. And I don't know what else to say about it without spoiling some of the great surprises that are in there. Um, So that's 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas, and it's out now in paperback. It's by Marie Helene Bertino. Yay. Yay. So those are the new books. But what are you going to go read now? Nothing. I'm going to take a nap right now until our next (laughs) podcast recording because my brain is not working. (laughs) You're having you're having a National Liberty Day. Is that correct? Oh, yes. As soon as we're finished recording, it's a National Liberty Day for the next 36 hours in which I can do whatever I want, which includes not reading and not feel guilty about it. Like I'm giving myself this holiday because I always feel guilty when I'm not reading. And I don't know, my brain's not working today. So I'm taking a holiday. Sometimes you, you just need to Netflix and chill with yourself. I think that is something really dirty that you just said. <laughs> well, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> anyway, moving on. No, I'm actually going to read this next book because <laughs> I'm so excited I got this book. It is What is Not Yours is Not Yours by Helen Oyeyemi. <gasps> oh, what? Yes, right? How exciting is this? Yeah, it's a book of short stories that comes out next year. Uh, she wrote The Amazing Boy Snowbird, uh, Mr. Fox, Icarus Girl. Uh, White is for Witching, which is a great book to read right now. Uh-huh. Um, it says here that these stories are built around the idea of keys, literal and metaphorical. The key to a house, the key to a heart, the key to a secret. Oyoyemi's keys not only unlock elements of her characters' lives, they promise further labyrinths on the other side. <sighs> yeah, I'm going to read that. <sighs> and then you're going to mail it to me. Oh, yeah, or, or my laptop. It's a PDF. So, oh, <laughs> so you can have my oh I'm so jealous. That sounds so good. Uh, I think I'm going to go read uh, The Witches. I haven't read it yet. Oh, so I'm going to yeah. hang out with Stacey Schiff this weekend. Yeah. The, and I'm, the Puritans. Man, I love the Puritans. It's going to be huge. I mean, she's going to be in town uh, Thursday. I'm going to try and go and see her. So fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, is it time for my nap now? <laughs> <laughs> it is time for your nap. Thanks again to our sponsors, A Blossom of Bright Light, Trigger Warning, and FabFitFun uh, for coming back this week. Again, you can go to FabFitFun.com and use the code ALLTHEBOOKS to save $10 at checkout. You can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. If you've got a minute to rate or review the show on iTunes, we also super, super appreciate that. It lets us know how we're doing. It also helps, more importantly, helps other book lovers to to find the show and then to read more books, which is what we're all about. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, I'm completely out of words, <laughs> just, <laughs> just broken, um, and we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter in which you can learn about more new releases out today and right. in the future. Happy reading and happy napping, and we will see you next week. Happy reading. Happy reading.